One of the things that stops small business owners from creating marketing content consistently is this feeling of being uninspired, of having no idea what to say in the first place. If you can relate to this, you are in good company. So many of us struggle with knowing what our marketing content should actually be about. But I am here to help. I have come up with 100 prompts that you can use to guide your marketing from your social media posts to your emails to your longer form content. I guarantee that these prompts will get you inspired and that you'll have more ideas than you even know what to do with. You can download this list of 100 marketing prompts for free at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100 prompts. That's makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100-P-R-O-M-P-T-S. Welcome back to Making Good, the podcast for small businesses who want to make a big impact. I'm your host, Lauren Tilden, and this is episode 135. Today, we're back with this month's edition of Making Good Book Club, and today we're talking about The War of Art, Break Through the Blocks and Win Your Inner Creative Battles by Stephen Pressfield. If you haven't listened to an episode of Making Good Book Club yet, here's the deal. Making Good now has a book club. Once per month, my brilliant book club co-host Sherelle and I discuss a book we think can help move the needle in your small business, and we'll share our takeaways specifically for small businesses. So let's get into today's episode. And today we're talking about, like I said, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. This is a book that I read years and years ago, and I honestly think about one key takeaway from this book all the time. But it was super interesting to read the book again and see what I noticed this time, which was a lot different from the first time around. And I'm really excited to share this with you. In this book club episode, we talk about the concept of resistance and how it relates to creativity, how resistance might be showing up for you, how to overcome resistance, how to approach your work as what Stephen Pressfield calls a pro, some of the issues that I personally found with this book, and much, much more. At the end of our conversation, we normally announce our book club for next month, but after we recorded this, we realized that the book we are planning to do for next month is releasing a new and updated version in the next few months, so we're going to wait for that one until we have the new version available. Instead, I cut that part of our interview out, and I announce our book for next month after the conversation wraps up with Sherelle, so stay tuned for that. Just a quick reminder that if you want the updates on book club, you can sign up to get notified at makinggoodpodcast.com slash book club. Okay, so let's get into this month's episode all about the war of art. Sherelle, welcome back to Making Good Book Club. Hello, thank you for having me back again. So excited for another edition of the book club. We are talking today about the war of art by Stephen Pressfield. This is a book that I read years ago and thought about a lot since then. Like it's been one of those books that there was just one message in there that really stuck with me for years and years. And so I suggested that we do it again. And it's been really interesting reading through it the second time to talk about it here on the show. I guess I just, this is, this book is different from most of the books, probably all of the books that we've done so far on the book club. So I'm curious, just if I asked you, Sherelle, like, what did you think? <laughs> How would you answer that question? So firstly, I have never read this book. So this is uh, a book that I've seen, and I think it was on my to-read list, but I've never actually got around. And 
I know a lot of people do rave and rave about the book. My like feelings about it was I really liked some of the messages that are in it, but it is written in a way that I definitely is not very useful for my brain in terms of like <laughs> every chapter is like true to a max of four pages long. And I'm just like, oh, so literally I've like got a book that's full of notes and like really good things. But I feel as if like I'm not going to be able to like remember enough, which means it doesn't surprise me, Lauren, when you're saying like there was a message from the book that's really stuck with you because I think it's written really well and really powerful powerfully it's just like I can imagine one thing sticking with you but actually understanding the whole book is a totally different thing yeah it's the way it's written so it's divided into three parts um which he calls book book one book two book three and which within each of those it's like each chapter is kind of like a mini pep talk or something a mini um I don't know. What would you call it? Like just a, a rambling on a certain like <laughs> topic within that greater topic. So it, I understand why you're saying like, it's kind of hard to get your head around um, how to talk about it. Actually, we were talking a little bit before we hit record, like, well, we'll see where this episode goes because it's not as structured as the other books that we've read so far. So the book is about creativity and how to stop holding yourself back. That's kind of what I would sum it up as. And like I said, the book has three books within them, three parts, essentially. Um, the first part is called Defining the Enemy, Resistance. The second part is about Combating Resistance. And the third part is about Beyond Resistance, The Higher Realm. So for me, I definitely want to dig into each of these parts. But for me, I really found parts one and two really helpful, interesting. I enjoyed reading them. Part three is a little bit woo-woo for me, I'm going to say. <laughs> and I'm guessing if it's woo-woo for me, it's probably like really woo-woo for you, Sherelle. <laughs> what are you trying to say about me and my woo-ness? <laughs> I think you're not as woo as me. And I'm even this was a little much for me. We talk about angels and nine sister muses and all kinds of things. So we'll talk about it. But for me, I guess my overall take is that there are a couple of things from this book that are so such important concepts that I think can really change the game for you if you keep in mind. Um, but overall, I definitely take issue with some things in the book, which we will talk about. So do you feel like I described what the book is about? How would you add anything to that before we start kind of digging into each part? Yeah, I think I'd probably just say that whilst clearly um, Stephen Prestold is a writer, I think it applies to anyone that is trying to bring a level of creativity out into the world. Um, like it's definitely made for that type of person that needs to I suppose, draw from within themselves um, and they're trying to bring something out. Um, I think the lessons can be applied across like all creative industries, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so he wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance and other books. And yeah, that's a great point is I think it's for anyone who's an artist, but also even just creating anything new. So even a business owner, I think this totally applies to. Let's talk about part one. So 
part one or book one is about defining the enemy and the enemy is resistance. What is resistance, Sherelle? So I would class the resistance as the thing that stops you from taking action. It's the thing that will make you not want to sit at your desk and stop writing. It's the thing that will stop you from painting. It's all the thoughts that will just basically make you not take the action that you desire in the first place. Totally. Yeah, he has a quote um, in the beginning of a section that says, there's a secret that real writers know that (laughs) wannabe writers don't. And the secret is this. It's not the writing part that's hard. What's hard is the sitting down to write. What keeps us from sitting down is resistance. Yeah. So this concept of resistance is the one takeaway that I had for this book and that I've thought about for the last few years a lot. And yeah, I think it's that thing that is the block between your dreams of what you want to be doing, what you believe that you can do, and why you're not doing them. Essentially, it's yeah. the wall between those two realities. He says, resistance comes up when we're trying to do anything that rejects immediate gratification in favor of (laughs) long-term growth, health, or integrity. So he's got this, the kind of the first part of this section of the book is some truths that he writes about resistance. Um, So some of those, maybe we could just throw out some of the ones that stuck around for us the most. One of the ones that I think is really important is that resistance is universal Mm-hmm. And I found this very comforting to read. I remember the first time, like the way that he describes the feeling of resistance. I was like, oh my gosh, like other people have this same like inexplicable block to to yeah. not doing the things that they feel like so called to do. Um, for me, that was one of the the most comforting parts of the book is just the knowledge that this is something that all creative people contend with in some way. And I don't know, it just feels good to know that it's not like a personal failing. It's part of the creative process to have this resistance. What are, what are some of the other sections um, about resistance that stuck with you? So I'd actually, one of the ones I liked was about resistance is not out to get you personally. So it was like resistance is impersonal, which I suppose connects quite nicely with the one you're saying about universal. I think we can feel as if, we are personally being attacked and it's like it's not mm-hmm. this is an absolutely normal thing it's, it happens to everyone and the fact that it's happened to us is not there's no reason behind it it's just like it's part of life um but mm-hmm. then the other one I had like underlined and starred was around resistance is fueled by fear and so the quote was resistance has no strength of its own every ounce of juice it possesses comes from us we feed it with power by our fear of it master that fear and we conquer resistance and I think the idea of like obviously fear is one that that it gets spoken about a lot in the book but it's this idea that the more we let fear rule us that is actually what's fueling resistance so we have to like face those fears yeah there's a lot of talk about fear in the book which I think is really important Another thing that stood out to me is this concept of resistance being infallible. So there's a quote that I loved so much. He said, like a magnetized needle floating on a surface of oil, resistance will unfailingly point to true north, meaning that that calling or action it wants us to stop doing. We can use this as a compass. 
So one of the points that they make that he makes in the book is that actually the thing that you're resisting the most, there's information there. Like that might be a really good, important thing for you to pursue. Um, Because oftentimes what we're resisting is sort of like our, I don't want to say life's work, but like it's what we would thrive most from doing. So I actually had the quote like on a post-it note, which pretty much is what we're trying to say, which was where we said, the more scared we are of a work or calling, the more sure we can be that we have to do it. And it's like, is that from this book too? Yeah, that's from the book. It's absolutely just like this idea of the more you are scared of it, like the more fear you possess, like that feeling is coming from somewhere for a reason. And actually it's a thing Mm -hmm. we should be following. Yeah. And I love that concept because it's just a really great reframe about fear. Like fear is not a bad thing. Actually, fear is a signal that we can pay attention to and not let drive the car. Like we can, we can make the decisions. So. Um, another thing in this first section about resistance is it is by definition self-sabotage, but it recruits others to, to sabotage. So um, he said the highest treason a crab can commit is to make a leap for the rim of the bucket. So other people resist when we move past resistance, I guess I want to say. So you might find other people like, questioning you or like asking you to consider doing things more traditionally or whatever. Um, And that's just like one of the things that you'll experience when you're in this stage of facing resistance. I love that image of this like crab trying to get out and everyone being like, you can't do that. Are you crazy? Like it really spoke to me actually, like as a business owner, I think if you're someone that doesn't come from like a circle or family or whatever of like, business owners and entrepreneurs like that's basically how it feels when you decide to leave a job and want to go and do your own thing it's like you're the naughty crab (laughs) the naughty crab (laughs) yeah totally um another thing in this bit i really liked was about resistance and rationalization and this idea about how like when we feel the resistance then we can start to rationalize it and start to believe that like that it's truthful when it's not and there was this quote that I actually ended up, I think, writing about it before now. It was about this idea of it's one thing to lie to ourselves. It's another thing to believe it. And this idea that so many Mm. of us lie to ourselves and that's like fine, but we get to the point where we believe that that lie is the truth. And that that is a classic example of rationalisation is like flipping it around on ourselves to be like, no, what I'm feeling is truthful. I shouldn't be doing this. And it's like, no, like do not rationalise resistance because it's it's not, it's it's not right. Yeah. I think the last big takeaway that I had from just this kind of like description of resistance is the fact that it doesn't go away. So this isn't something that you beat once and then the rest of your creative life, your past, it's kind of something that you'll continuously bump bump up against and have to make the conscious decision to let it be there and take action anyway. Um, it's not a check off your list one time kind of, kind of enemy. <laughs> it's like your everyday companion that you just have to get into a practice of understanding that just because resistance is there doesn't mean we shouldn't take action anyway. So that is really important to keep in mind as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long ago that was. We spoke bigly. Was that the last book we spoke about? And it's the same with the upper limit problem. It's like, it's not 
when it's, these are continual pieces of work, this is why we have to keep doing the work because mm-hmm. it's not something that goes away. Yeah. So I think the next part of this book one, Defining the Enemy, is about looking for the symptoms of resistance. So what would be the things coming up in our life or our work where when we see those things happening, that might be an indication that we're letting resistance kind of take the wheel. Um, I think the number one thing that, and certainly the one that I identify with the most is procrastination, Um, which again, like you say, this is a way of rationalizing like, Oh, this can be done tomorrow or I'm going to do that next week. Or once I finish X, then I can do Y. Um, and he says on the topic of procrastination, never forget this very moment we can change our lives. Um, which I think is just a reminder to do something right now. (laughs) There's not, you can procrastinate forever and you will, if you're always approaching life with that mindset, but now is really the best time to take the first step. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think procrastination is, Obviously, it's a, it's a big thing. And I think when you look at the beginning of the book where he talks about like the pro writer knows the hardest thing is to sit down. It's also this idea of just like taking the, like, taking the first step. Mm-hmm. If you're just in complete in uh, inaction, that's when you know resistance is winning. Yeah. Another one was self-doubt. And I really like this point. He says that self-doubt can be an indicator of aspiration. So the things that you find yourself really doubting yourself in might be like the thing for you. He had the quote, if you find yourself asking yourself and your friends, am I really a writer? Am I really an artist? Chances are you are. The counterfeit innovator is wildly self-confident. The real one is scared to death. This one to me really is about imposter syndrome and the fact that like, if you're experiencing imposter syndrome, it's because you really care, you know, and like you really want to be the best that you can. And that's kind of the best mindset to be coming at something from. Another thing he said, and the symptoms is the more resistance that you experience, the more important the project that or the art project, the enterprise is to you. So the higher that degree that you're experiencing, like probably the more you want to actually do the work of confronting that resistance and the more gratifying it'll be when you actually do it. Yeah. I think some other symptoms are just like, you know, looking for distractions, looking for trouble, he says. So like making a lot of mistakes, creating soap operas out of your lives, self-medication. Um, when you find yourself being like overly critical of other people, this can be a symptom that you're in resistance. So yeah, there's, there's, if you have read the book or you have it, like there's a lot of examples of what resistance might be showing up like for you if you're not able to spot it yourself. But I do think that the biggest one is procrastination. The one that I experience the most, the one that I see other small business owners experiencing the most is probably that procrastination one. Yeah, sure. Should we talk about book two? Yes. Combating resistance, turning pro, which definitely probably was a chapter I liked the most because... I'm all about turning pro (laughs) yes you are (laughs) Um, and so the beginning of this chapter he talks about like 
the differences between a professional and an amateur. Um, and some of the things he says is like, the amateur plays for fun, the professional plays for keeps, uh, the amateur plays part-time, the professional is full-time, the amateur is a weekend warrior, the professional is there seven days a week. Um, and it's not actually about whether you're, like, it's not about the payment. So that's not what, like, so if you're creative, it's not thinking that I'm only professional when I get paid. It's definitely much more about the attitude of someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, he uses the analogy of having a job. So he says, like, when you work, when you have a job, you show up every day, you stay for the full day, you're committed long term. You accept money for your labor. Um, you, you know, you're just in it. And most of us don't approach our own creative projects this way. Um, the way that we show up for a job, we don't tend to show up for our own projects. So that's kind of the way that I view this chapter is like showing up for your dreams and your creative um, aspirations and you know your business whatever it is showing up for that with the same commitment level and um kind of like rain or shine attitude that we would for uh, someone else that we're working for and I, I think you're right that idea of actually if someone else was hiring us how do we show up because as individuals we let ourselves off the hook so much and very often with our whether it's a business or a creative endeavor no one else is really like waiting for us to produce something. So if we don't do it, it doesn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And this is not something that is talked about in the book, but this, this exact kind of situation is why I think accountability is so powerful is because we're not always the most reliable for ourselves, but when something is really important to us and we want to show up for it, building in some accountability with other people is like, I don't know, maybe a hack to, to force it, force the, force that consistency and that um, follow through that we may not tend to do on our own, but he certainly doesn't talk about that in this book. That's just no, my <laughs> There's no work around. <laughs> One of the ways that he starts off this chapter or this book, this section of the book, book two, um, is with a quote by Telamon of Arcadia. And he says, it is one thing to study war and another to live the warrior's life. And I think this is a really beautiful quote actually about, you know, I think this captures a lot of something that a lot of us do, which is do a lot of thinking about the work we want to do and dreaming and planning and researching, but that's not actually where anything happens, yeah. where everything happens is in the doing. If book one, defining the enemy is about fear, book two is about action and just like the willingness to take action, show up, no matter how you feel, do it anyway put in the hours and wake up the next day and do the same thing. Um, and I think a lot of this book is about unglamorizing the creative process. Yes. It's <laughs> right. Like it doesn't always feel fun. It doesn't always feel exciting. You're not always going to feel inspired. We can't wait for inspiration to <laughs> hit us before we start doing the work. You know, that's not, 
that's not how pros operate. Pros no. sit down and do it no matter how they feel and see what comes out. Literally reading this section of the book just felt like everything that when I say to people about creating content and being like, you have to do it. Like this is not a you mm-hmm. have to, to be inspired. Actually, if you want people to know about your business, then you need to do it. And you have to sit down every day and do something. And it's not just when you get inspired. And I think that's the was so the root. It's like turning pro. People get up. They and they, you know, I think I think he talks about like, you know, his habits of how he changes attitude to like getting up and writing every day. And it's like, that is what you do. And sometimes it's not great. Like I think he did talk about the idea that sometimes he would write. And it, it wouldn't be like his best work. But the point is, sometimes you write something awful to then write something good. But you get up and you write every day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes you have to get through the awful stuff to get to the good stuff. Like that's just part of it. Um, it's part of the creation process is, I don't know, working through the things that don't work to get to the things that do work. Um Part of, I think there's a section in book two, Combating Resistance and Turning Pro, that is about the qualities of the pro. So the qualities of the pro, the pro is patient for the long haul. They seek order. And this is really about like not trying to operate in a space of chaos. Um, I think this can apply to many things, but I just think of it in terms of like my workspace. Like I have a much harder time actually getting quality work done when when my office looks like it does at this very moment right now because (laughs) we have just I just put a bunch of stuff in here when we're cleaning and it needs to go away so taking note on that um the pro acts in the face of fear the pro is prepared the pro asks for help when they need it they don't take success or failure personally Okay, I loved this quote. A professional keeps their eye on the donut and not the hole, yes. which I think is like a really interesting, different way of saying like they're more of a glass half full kind of person. But they self-validate, they recognize their limitations, and they recognize others. I found this section really helpful, but Sherelle obviously was not as interested in it. No, so I think now maybe- no, it's not. I wasn't interested. I think it's probably because they felt like uh, I feel like the professional bit. I sort of understood what a professional should do, mm-hmm. and so that's why probably mm-hmm. I wasn't paying like as much attention. Whereas, like just after that, I really like that bit where he talks about you ink and this idea of how, as an individual, you should be treating your work and your creative endeavors separate to you, actually, as an individual. And again, this is all this part of this process of like separating out yourself to be pro. And I really could see how like for business owners, like so t- so many times we're so attached to what we're creating. And if you are mm-hmm. by yourself, it can feel like it is all you. And that's the whole thing about why we get caught up and we think it's personal. And this is like, you know, it really reinforces what you talked about, about it's impersonal. It's not like we are separate entities. And this idea of like, even if you aren't a business in a traditional sense, like how do you separate yourself? So it's like, I am coming to write for my business. Like I'm coming to write. I Yes, I'm a writer, but it's not everything about me. And when I come to do my work, the work is separate. Yeah. Yeah, that helps you to not take things so personally and get like as emotionally connected. Um, I think this book too wraps up with a quote that I think is super powerful, which is there's no mystery to turning pro. 
It's a decision brought about by an act of will. We make up our minds to view ourselves as pros and we do it. Simple as that. I think part of the reason this book is kind of like short and unstructured is that actually what he's saying is very, very simple. Yeah. It's just decide to take it seriously, sit down every day and do it. Like it's that easy. A lot of the book is just kind of like motivational about why you should approach things that way. But when it comes down to like, what is the practical takeaway? The practical takeaway is sit down and do the work like every day. <laughs> so, right. So. Yeah. Uh, it's funny I actually did underline that bit so we're not always opposite um yeah I think it's because I wanted to like brand it and make people really listen to it because that to me was the point is actually it isn't mysterious we've all seen people that are great and that treat their craft as a pro and it can feel as if it's like completely like outside of us and it's like it's really not it's literally just do the work like face the fear know the fear is always going to be there but don't let it stop you do the work every day mm-hmm. yeah and it's not there's not the one strategy the one tactic the one tool or website that's gonna like fix everything for you it's just sitting down and doing it it's not there's no right way it's just needs to be done so um to me we've kind of talked about the best parts of the book <laughs> <laughs> now we go to book three where it all goes apparently way too woo woo for me <laughs> it goes off the rails a little bit um book three is called beyond resistance the higher realm and in my notes here i say like woo woo alert and i i can get down with some woo like i really can i am into various woo woo things this one I don't know this to me, this chapter is all about the fact that like you're the megaphone or, or something like you're not, our creativity doesn't come from us. We're just the way that it gets channeled. And so it's this, there's lots of words in this chapter about like angels and muses and I don't know, the forces that generate ideas and channel them through us and how to invoke the muse. And I don't know. I don't know. So (laughs) to me, this section was not very useful, I'm going to say. Okay. I'm trying to look through my notes and see if there is something. But yeah, there were a couple useful things, which we can get to. Yeah. But for the most part, it's like, meh. I mean, I I had a lot of notes around, I think there was a whole section around like the self versus the ego. And I think this Mm -hmm. idea of like the physical, like our physical self, um, and so we're saying like how no it's the way around um and i think (laughs) that was probably the bit where i i could try and see this idea of how (laughs) (laughs) how resistance was uh like it's our ego that stops us and it's because our if our ego is like our physical bit whereas ourself is more like our soul and that existed before and it will continue after then that's not as bothered whereas our ego which is like this existence right here and there right now is the only one that would make sense why then it wants to protect you so much because it's that's what it's designed to do is to try and make our existence right now be as good as possible and doing creative things that are going to challenge people and have an opportunity to put us at risk obviously that's what it's trying to protect so I sort of Mm -hmm. yeah that self-ego bit 
I could see where that was going. <laughs> <laughs> you could follow that part. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, the one part I would say for me that really I did think was particularly useful was this concept of hierarchy versus territory. Oh, yeah. And hierarchy is sort of the, I don't know, almost like operating system that we have learned to approach life with that like it's you know everything's a pecking order and comparing yourselves with other people is how you figure out what to do and he says that the artist must operate territorially so the artist is about like finding your territory in the world like finding your thing and going all in on that and not worrying so much about like what what everything else around you looks like, what other people think the right thing or like the impressive thing is the artist must operate territorially, which is like find your thing and like go in with it. And I think that makes sense for a lot of creative people in a world where we'd argue that creativity is probably placed quite low in a traditional hierarchical order. And Mm -hmm. therefore if you were to pay attention to that, then when people's parents say things like don't be a starving artist, like go and become a doctor, you would listen to that advice. Yeah. So, yeah, it makes more sense to be like, actually, like sometimes if, we, if, we, if we're to take it that our creativity and like our art is a calling sort of thing, then it will mean you should listen to that and being in that territory is more important than where it ends up putting you in the hierarchy of society. Yeah. Yeah, he says... Of any activity you do, ask yourself, if I were the last person on earth, would I still do it? If the answer is yes, you're doing it territorially. I love that question. Me too. So yeah, it's definitely one to ask yourself. If I were the last person on earth, would I still do it? Um, I think the last sort of big thing I took notes on before we get into anything we may have like, especially disagreed with was um, just the kind of the way that he concludes the book, which was, are you a born writer? Were you put on this earth to be a painter, a scientist, an apostle of peace? In the end, the question can only be answered by action. Do it or don't do it. And I love that. It's like it creates a very binary decision. You can say yes to it or say no to it, but there's no like explaining or rationalizing or anything between that. It's like you're going to do it or not. So to me, like I think we've talked about quite a bit, like that's that is what I hope everyone's takeaway from this book is the decision to look at the fear in the face, identify it as resistance and let it be there and do the thing day in and day out anyway. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it's a take ownership, I suppose, of if you are going to follow that path or not. And then if you are, put all organs behind it and go for it. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about any things we may have disagreed with this book. I think Lauren has a long list. Is everyone buckled I, in? <laughs> well, I have one. I have... One main thing, which I think, well, okay, so I didn't love all of the really mystical stuff in book three, but I still do think there are some useful things in book three. Um, I think my number one issue with the way that this book is written is I think it's a little bit 
oversimplistic about the reasons that people don't take action. Mm-hmm. It's not as simple as like, you're just afraid or you're irrational or you're self-medicating or whatever. I don't think sometimes there are reasons that we don't take actions that have a little bit more depth to them. Um, Like our life circumstances, our level of privilege or not privilege, which like enables us to have time for things like this Um, resources. And and one thing that really stood out to me is he actually makes a comment about how ADD, SAD and social anxiety disorder aren't diseases, but marketing ploys which really just kind of grinds my gears as someone who has some mental health issues and, you know, mental health is really important to me. I think that's really irresponsible to say um, basically that anyone who's experiencing those things are just, I don't know, like going like victim to a marketing scheme. That's like there's science behind these things. And um, I think he's dismissive of things like medication for some of the folks who may need it. So there are some, I think that most of these came up in book two, Mm -hmm. but I would just encourage you if you have read it or haven't like take some of that with a grain of salt, because I, at least I personally like really disagree. Um, I think, I do think it's a like decide to do it is what I hope people take away, like decide to do it and pursue those creative projects and dreams that you have. But I think there are many reasons that we may be not taking action and it's not always as simple, I guess, as I don't know, just, just deciding to. (laughs) Yeah. And I think I may be almost like, you know, I just said, I, I may be almost contradicting what I've said in, in this interview, but I think if you can just decide to do it, I hope that you do. But I think that there are, there are reasons sometimes why it's more than that. And I've experienced that myself, like when I've been in really rough, um, like mental health situations where like, I don't know if I could have just simply mind over mattered through it. In fact, I know I couldn't. And so, you know, I got treatment and have taken medication and there have been things that have made that more possible for me. So just want to, I guess, extend a little bit of a caveat for anyone who may, I don't know, relate to me on that, on that topic. No. And I think you're right in terms of there's a, not everyone also just has that capability to just like face a fear that simply. I think depends. It really does depend on where that fear is actually coming from. Um, I think there was definitely um, massive reasons why people bringing, making themselves visible, um, particularly when we talk about like, like I'm thinking, for example, when I try and make people be visible online, like that mm-hmm. brings up a lot of uh, a lot of like past memories for people and like real reasons why they feel that they can't do that. Like it actually makes them feel like they're putting themselves at risk at danger etc and Mm -hmm. to actually face that is not a flick of a switch like it actually takes time um and I think there's this like degree of building up and I think that's probably like one of the things that didn't necessarily like when this whole thing about like sit down and write there's also a very big difference between 
writing every day and then actually then taking the steps to send that off to a publisher or actually try and get that like out there so mm-hmm. I think it's, you know really we're talking about the book is very much about like creative endeavors at the beginning rather than I suppose for most of our listeners we would say like we're actually doing creative things that we are putting out into the world in quite a visible way yeah, that's a great point it's this is about like the creation process less than like the marketing process and the marketing slash sharing slash putting this all out in public is a whole nother thing. Mm -hmm. I do think there's a big component to that. That is like, you know, sometimes fears come up, especially fears of being judged. And to me, when you're worried about being judged, it is really as simple as just do it or don't do it, (laughs) you know? But I think just being worried about like what your friends and family are going to think is different from some of the other things like you're saying, like real fears for safety and things like that. That's a whole different level. And I think there should be more consideration that goes into things like that than simply like do it or don't do it. It's like, well, it might be a little more um, involved (laughs) than that. Was there anything else that you didn't like that you wanted to share before we end? (laughs) I don't know. I, I'm really interested. So basically before we came on, uh, Lauren said about how this is the second time you read it and your reaction was different. And I'm yeah. always really intrigued by this. Uh, and it happens to me in a, a number of the books we've read um, on the podcast so far, I've been rereading. And I think it's mm-hmm. interesting when you reread something and like your memories of it were one way or the other. And then it like changes the second time you read it. Yeah. Yeah, I think when I first read this book, I'm trying to think of when exactly it was. It was at least four or five years ago. So it was much earlier in my like small business journey. It was probably right when I had quit corporate America and was moving into this world of doing my own thing. And I think I really needed these messages around... Like, I did not know what the concept of resistance was before I read this book. And that is what I've thought about this concept of resistance, like, constantly since I read it. So it's been great for me to have read. But the second time I read it, I think, like, I've been in this world a little bit longer. Um, I have a little more awareness around, like, just the fact that we are all coming from different places and life experiences and situations. So sometimes we'll get advice that maybe for someone with a lot of privilege and like mental stability or mental health, like positive mental health and X, Y, Z scenario, maybe the advice is as straightforward as he's presenting it, but there's just not a lot of acknowledgement in the book of like, I don't know where we're coming from and like life circumstances and differences between where we are. And maybe it's just like, I've grown as a person and I have more, I guess, understanding of these things. So now that I read the book, I'm less, I don't know, I'm more likely to notice that. I think the other thing is earlier on in my business journey, I was much more likely to just read things and be like, oh, okay. Yeah. So like someone published this book, they know what they're talking about. Like (laughs) I, I'm going to just take it at face value. Right. And now I have a little bit more of a critical eye. And like, I realized that not everyone who publishes a book knows what they're talking about. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit less just sort of like willing to agree. Yeah. Sponge like, that's a good way to say it. No, that really makes sense. I think 
in terms of uh, the more you read, the more you actually get to a point where you like challenge what's written down. And like you said, we we read something and we take what works for us, and we take like we do something else. That idea of resistance clearly has been really powerful for you. So it's great mm-hmm. to have learned it. But also sometimes when you read read something a second time, particularly this where like it's not a book of much value and substance in terms of compared to some of the books we've read where it's like loads of tips, loads of notes, you're writing loads of stuff. Like it is a very simple concept. So mm-hmm. actually to reread that all over again, I can understand why. Yeah, the first time it was like, this is something new. Whereas now it's like, you you know that and there's actually not much substance to really warrant it being like the second time I got something new out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm just like anything besides the concept of resistance, I'm really looking at, which mm-hmm. I don't agree with all of it. So what about you? I mean, I, I, this is your first time reading it. So yes. it was my first time reading it and I, I can understand why it's really popular. I think I, you know, it, yeah, when I was reading the whole book one, and I was reading all the resistance stuff. I really could understand this idea of how if that it is, imp- it is important. And I think that idea of actually like really acknowledging what's happening. I think, you know, I've definitely been someone that's, you know, been on a, a real big journey to actually start creating things, to put things online, to put myself out there, all those things. So I really could like appreciate that side of it. I really like book two, like the whole idea of turning pro. I don't think, I think I treat my business as a very professional anyway. And so I think it just mm-hmm. leans on my actual natural tendency. Um, but I, I think it's like, for me, I'm like, this isn't a book that I needed to have read. <laughs> but I can see for other people why it's really valuable, if that makes sense. So like when I do my reviews, sometimes I'll say like, what type of person should read it? And I'm like, yeah, actually, if you are someone that's like totally going with inspiration, you have had this dream that you've not been taking any action on, or you've written something once, you you know, you've got three different half drafts of a book on your laptop, then yeah, you should probably read this book to get one of them finished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you have clients who probably <laughs> need this message, even yes. if you don't. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I certainly did. And I did take things from it the second time for sure. So I don't want to I don't want to suggest that like there's no value in reading it a second time. There is, but I just have a more critical eye. So I guess I just wanted to make sure to say that here because for anyone else who may have read that section in particular about how like these mental illnesses aren't real, they're marketing schemes. And that just made me mad. So if that makes you mad or if you can relate to that, like I'm with you. So I don't think it's as simple as he says. Sherelle, thank you for being here as always for like, I just, we always come at things from different ways and take different things away. So these conversations are always so interesting. Okay. I hope that you had some good takeaways. I hope that you found something useful in this book. If you read the book, I know Sherelle and I would both love to hear from you. DM us on Instagram and let us know your thoughts. I'm at Lauren Tilden and Sherelle is at Sherelle Griffith. You can find details from the podcast on the show notes page at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 135. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we didn't announce next month's book in our conversation because we actually ended up changing plans after recording. So it's up to just me to let you know what the book we've chosen for October is. And that is Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection No Matter the Distance by Erica Dewan. 
The reason we chose this book is because our world has changed, and now we find ourselves communicating in much different settings than we used to in person. We have phone calls, conference calls, videos, text messages, emails, a lot of different formats for conversing, where a lot of miscommunication and misunderstandings can happen. This book is about building connection in a digital world, and we cannot wait to chat with you about it here on the book club. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful to have your support for making good. I would be honored if you'd leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast player. If you have a friend you think would enjoy the podcast, you can send them the link to this episode. This is makinggoodpodcast.com slash 135. And finally, I would love for you to take a screenshot in your podcast player while you're listening to the episode and tag me and Sherelle on social media. I'm at Lauren Tilden on Instagram, L-A-U-R-E-N-T-I-L-D-E-N. And Sherelle is at Sherelle Griffith. That's C-H-A-R-E-L-L-E-G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H. We would love to connect with you. Thank you for being here and for focusing on making a difference with your small business. Talk to you next time.